So Untethered Sky is a novella that I've been describing as a wildlife memoir with monsters. And it came about um, largely because of my soft spot for animal companionship stories. So books like Where the Red Fern Grows and Old Yeller and Julie of the Wolves, you know, all the books that make you cry at the end, like those books. I enjoyed when I was a child. So I was like, I want to write one of those. Um, but also was fascinated with falconry and uh, and just like the how cool and amazing that sport is. But what if the falcons were like enormous monsters? What is up, everybody? You're listening to episode 47 of SFF Addicts. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and welcome to your weekly dive into the world of science fiction, fantasy, and writing craft. Joining me as always is my co-host, the Chewie to my Han Solo, the Joker to my Commander Shepard, MJ Kuhn. How's it going, MJ? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. How are you, Adrian? Doing very well. Thank you. And now, a uh, quick note for listeners, the official SFF Addicts Patreon and merch store are live, so check the links in the description below to support what we do here. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Fanfidic YouTube channel where this and every other episode is available in full video. And now, welcoming today's guest author, a familiar voice here on SFF Addicts, the amazing Fonda Lee. How are you, Fonda? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show, Adrian, MJ. Uh, pleasure as always. But to get things started, for anyone who isn't familiar with you, could you let listeners and viewers know a bit more about yourself? Sure. I'm Fonda Lee. I write science fiction and fantasy uh, novels primarily. I'm probably best well known for the Greenbone Saga, which is a epic urban fantasy, Asia-inspired martial arts gangster family saga. I never get those words out in the same order <laughs> twice. And uh, it begins with Jade City, continues with Jade War, and concludes with Jade Legacy. I also am the author of a number of um, science fiction novels, Zero Boxer, Exo, Crossfire, and my newest um, non-related uh, uh, novella comes out um, on April 11th, and that is Untethered Sky. Woo. Congratulations on that, by the way. Yes, congrats on that. So awesome. So I'm curious, um, with such like a wide repertoire of genres and subgenres and all of these things within uh, science fiction fantasy, what was your relationship with reading sci-fi fantasy like when you were growing up? Like, what were some of your favorites? So I definitely latched onto science fiction fantasy pretty early in life. I think my earliest introduction was probably uh, like Chronicles of Narnia and um, the Pradane Chronicles. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I just sort of progressed from there. And then when I was in my teens, I discovered um, Asimov and Bradbury and Anne McCaffrey. So yeah, really early on, I remember just gravitating towards science fiction and fantasy. Yeah, awesome. And what was it that drew you to writing fiction, but specifically science fiction and fantasy? Was it kind of building upon the love of these books that you grew up with? Or how did that all kind of progress? Definitely. It was very much a, well, this is what I love to read. So that's naturally what, I go what I'm going to start writing once I kind of 
um, became uh, enamored with, uh, with telling my own stories. And I think that what drew me really to the genre was just the sheer imaginativeness of it. Um, and I, I, I feel like it's very much my natural um, lane, if you will, um, because it's so unconstrained, like literally anything yeah. that you can imagine um, in the in terms of the future or a past that never was or, you know, an alternate reality is encompassed within science fiction and fantasy. So um, I, I definitely see myself staying staying put here. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken in the past about your your many years of office life, you know, working corporate strategy for <laughs> Nike uh, and places like that. How did those experiences, consciously or unconsciously, prepare you for what I could only describe as like the fucked up craziness of publishing and <laughs> writing and all these kinds of things? Uh, Adrian, fucked up craziness no is, is pretty much, <laughs> no. the, you know, the right the right descriptor, um, of our industry. But it's, you know, that's an interesting question because I, I look back on, you know, the years that I spent in a corporate work environment and in some ways it was the exact wrong preparation for a creative profession because it's so different in the sense that it's much more structured. It's much more reasonable, I I guess you could say in that, like you, you have a job, you go to the office, you have certain deliverables, you have a pretty clear list of expectations. And if you meet them, you sort of, you can expect a certain range of bonus every year. And after a certain number of years, you're up for promotion to this next position. And a creative profession is the exact opposite of that. So everything that you kind of get used to working a, a normal office job, um, is thrown out the window, uh, when you get into publishing. Um, on the other hand, I think that there were a few things that it did prepare me, um, for, uh, and one of them is sort of thinking in a commercial slash strategic way about, right. About books, about, you know, mm-hmm. my own product, if you will. Right. I, I think there are certainly some writers who, come into the field without that knowledge or that preparation of being able to think of publishing as an industry. Because at at the end of the day, even though we pour our hearts and souls out into the, like these very personal stories and we're dedicated to our craft and our art, it is at the end, a thing that has to be printed and distributed and put into a retail channel and sold and marketed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think having that background, just having that understanding of business has in a, some way allowed me to emotionally disconnect a little bit from the business side and all the trials and tribulations that happen there and sort of treat that separately from the craft and the art side. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that because, yeah, we, when we had uh, Chelsea Abdullah on, uh, she also was talking about the importance of separating project from product, product. I think, is mm-hmm. how yeah. she put mm-hmm. it. Uh, and I do think that's so important because, you know, you view the book as your little book baby and it's, it yeah. is, but also. And I'm an artiste and blah, blah, blah. I know, blah, but ultimately, yeah. <laughs> right, it is, it is a, a product and if you, you, it is an advantage to be familiar with the business side of it. Um mm. Yeah, so to go back into the project side of it, right? A little more into the the artsy fun stuff. Um, you've written both sci-fi and fantasy. So the Exo series, Zero Boxer, Green Bone Saga, and now Untethered Sky. 
Um, I'm curious about what are some of your favorite things about writing each of the separate genres and what are some of the like biggest challenges for you associated with each genre? Like, have you had unique challenges that popped up with sci-fi that you didn't experience with fantasy or vice versa? Things like that. You know, I honestly don't feel like I'm switching anything in my brain when I move between science fiction and fantasy. I really do feel like they, uh, they're two sides of the same coin, if you will. And that, um, I, I don't feel like one of them is harder than the other or, or vice versa, that one of them comes to me more naturally. Um, so I, I do think though, that there, there are of course things to love about science fiction fans. And like one thing that I really love on the science fiction side is that, um, it often is very, uh, in some ways, even though fantasy is magic and like basically the impossible science fiction is often in many ways more inventive than fantasy. Um, and some of the, I think most sort of unique mind blowing ideas come from the science fiction that I have read. Um, on the fantasy side, uh, you know, there's just, I, I love sinking into sort of like a, the, a big chonky, like epic story. And, you know, you find those in fantasy, right. Where you just, you, you there's, there's just sort of the scale and the, um, the, the size of the canvas that you can work on. Yeah. So, um, on, in terms of, uh, you know, challenges, I would actually say there's a similar challenge to both, uh, for me. And that is more of the, I suppose you could say the, um, the, the stereotype of both from a mainstream reader perspective. And especially because working within the genre as an author, I know the breadth of cool stuff that is being written in both science fiction and fantasy. But oftentimes when I say like, Oh, I write science fiction, people immediately will say like, Oh, that like, I don't read science fiction or, you know, Oh, they imagine something extremely technical and nerdy, like high Mm -hmm. hard science fiction and stuff (laughs) that's not character driven, you know? And, um, you know, I've, I've had that happen multiple times where, you know, my, my first three books were science fiction and people would ask, Oh, what do you write? it's a science fiction and they'd be like, Oh yeah. Like that's cool. I don't, I don't read science. haven't read science fiction. You know, even that they wouldn't <laughs> think of themselves as like a science fiction consumer, even though they're consuming, mm-hmm. you know, Jurassic park and you know, the all, all the sort of like Mar- really the Martian. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's, there's sort of the like ultra nerdy stereotype of science fiction. And then I think on the fantasy side as well, people still associate it with, with uh you know lord of the rings and game of thrones like that medieval old white milieu <laughs> exactly <laughs> just saying Me in 50 years <laughs> there you go i'm getting there man i'm getting there getting but that's, there. that's yeah, totally there's, true. there's certainly like a an idea of what that is when you say you write fantasy mm-hmm. they still think swords and sorcery and that's and then i kind of have to go on the like well, fantasy is a lot broader than that. And actually, you know, and mm. so that's sort of a, I don't think a, a unique challenge. That's just something that we writers in the genre overall deal with. Yeah. It's a strange thing. Cause yeah, like you said, it's like everyone, you know, who isn't really in this world as a reader or a writer or what have you, like, I feel like the big properties don't really trigger that, that notion in their head that it's like, 
I am watching fantasy right now. It's like, mm-hmm. did you love Game of Thrones? It's like, that is pure, pure fantasy. Did uh, you love, you know, do you love like Guardians of the Galaxy? Like, that is a say, sci-fi yeah. space sci-fi, opera. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? So it's like mm-hmm. Marvel, Marvel movies, I think, are like the biggest representation of like embedding sci-fi and fantasy within the mainstream in a way that people are just like unconsciously consuming these genres without really thinking about it. And, you know, yeah. it's like, you don't have to be so hesitant about like these genres are for nerds or whatever. Like, well, or just like, being know? intimidated by, yeah. by getting into it. Right. Where it's like, oh, I don't know if I can get into something in that genre. And it's so funny. I'm even like very embedded in this genre, obviously. Uh, Hi, the name of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> you wrote in a I fantasy didn't even book think too. So. Until you just said Jurassic Park is sci-fi, I was like, "Holy yeah. shit, Jurassic Park is sci-fi!" Like you just don't think For about sure. it like that because it's such a blockbuster. Um, yeah, in yeah, the, in popular culture. So yeah, or like the biggest movie of like you know the last six months, Avatar Two is pure space fantasy mm-hmm. at its core and yeah. it's like yeah passed a billion dollars already so it's like you all love science fiction and fantasy so. you're all nerds too <laughs> yeah exactly Embrace it, man i'm curious though like on the flip side fonda i know you're a big fan of things like uh you know like kung fu movies and, and gangster movies and the godfather and stuff like that would you ever consider writing outside of sff since we're kind of on this, on this topic you know I wouldn't say no if the right idea came to me. Mm -hmm. That said, I have so many ideas within SFF that I don't Mm. know when I would (laughs) have the time to write something not in the genre. So I guess the answer is, um, you know, never say never, but uh, Mm. it, it would have to be the right project. Or something that I, I, you know, I really felt strongly about that I, that I couldn't do within SFF. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like, they'd have to figure out like, how do we market Fonda's, you know, SFF stuff versus, I don't know, like. Right. I'm just like, I just picture you in like crime fiction or something like that. Right. Or if I like wrote a (laughs) literary novel or I, I, yeah, I don't know. If it ever happens, I'll just, I'll have to come back on here and, and let you know. Right. <laughs> we'll have to change our name to just fiction addicts. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> we will. <laughs> Rebranding troubles. Oh, man. Mm. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so back to our home space of fantasy though, sci-fi fantasy. You, you wrapped up the Green Moon saga uh, with, as well as some tie-in works with it. Um, how do you feel like how does it feel to be kind of leaving uh, the world that you've spent so much time in do you are you satisfied with the time that you spent there do you think you'll ever you know return to the to the green bones (laughs) I you know I feel um pretty satisfied and sad like in in sort of equal measure right like I feel Mm -hmm. really um happy with uh, the trilogy being done and being out in the world. And I got a chance to do some additional little projects in that world with, um, the novella Jade Setter of John Loon. And there's a short story collection, Jade Shards that's coming out. And so, um, it, there's this mingled feeling of being like relieved and satisfied and happy with also the, the bereftness of like, but 
but I've been in this world for so long and I know these characters so well. I miss my friends. I, I miss yeah, them. So yeah, exactly. Uh, there, there is this sort of strange feeling of like moving cities or something where you like left your home right. neighborhood and, yeah. and now, you know, I'm working on projects where, uh, where like, I'm not familiar with this world or these characters. I'm like, who are these people? I have to do, <laughs> mm-hmm. to do all this work again. Um, and, and so there is that, uh, you know, there, there is that, that sort of very mixed sense of, um, of, uh, you know, emotions coming to the end of a big trilogy for sure. Yeah. Like bittersweet yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I know that the, the, the Greenbone saga was picked up by NBC Peacock, but I think that project kind of uh, dissolved. Um, unfortunately, talking about Bittersweet, it's like that to me would be amazing to see the Greenbone Saga on on uh, TV. But oh, how yeah. how is that going right now? Like, what's the current state of the television show? And for you, is that kind of like um, this little bit of a glimmer of hope of like, I can still hang out with my friends. I can still <laughs> yeah. be with my green bones for a little while if this happens. Yeah. So um, you're you're right. The uh, option with um, with Peacock didn't get renewed, but it has been re-optioned elsewhere, and there are things happening that I nice. can't really talk about in detail um, right now. But <laughs> there's definitely a. Yeah, I mean, once I have stuff to share, I will. I will be. I'll be very be out there. Yeah, excited to do so. It'll be out there. But um I in some ways uh have to think of anything that happens on the screen adaptation front um as like not my thing and mm. let it be its own thing because um it, it really is of a different beast, if you will. Like once you, once your project gets optioned and other creatives are involved. Um, you still have some imprint on it and Mm. I'm still involved in talks and I have a consultative role and all that. Um, but also I kind of did my job, you know, like the green bone saga is complete and the books are out there and they're what I wanted them to be. Uh, would I, and MJ, you had asked, would I ever come back to it? I, you know, I've, I've asked myself that question and uh, this sort of, I think, will mirror my answer to Adrian's question of like, would I write another in another genre, which is the, like, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say no, like it never, the right. never say never, but also it would have to be a really compelling reason, um, mm-hmm. for me to come back. Like, I, I mean, maybe if there was a show and it blew up and my publisher just like drove up a truck full of money and was like, hey, please do one more green bone saga. If something like that happened, would I consider it? Yeah, of course I would. Um, But at the same time, I don't feel like I need to go back. I feel like the story is complete. I told the story I wanted to tell. I I appreciate you having that perspective because it's like I've talked to on one hand. So it's like I have two authors who I've spoken to about this exact thing. And it's like on one hand is Hugh Howey, whose book Wool and the broader series, I think it's called like the, the silo series has been adapted by Apple TV as silo. And his perspective was just let them do their thing, let them adapt it and let them create their own interpretation of it. He's kind of on, on it as like a consultative role and visiting the set and stuff like that. Um, but his thing was like, 
the until the moment I see it on the screen, it doesn't exist mm-hmm. in my mind. Yes. Which I think is really healthy when it comes to yeah. any Agreed. so much film has to be out of your control project. at this point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then on the opposite side is like Daniel Abraham, who's one half of James S.A. Corey, mm-hmm. uh, the, the writers of The Expanse. In which case it's like they just kind of stumbled in to the writer's room of yeah. all things where it was like the showrunner uh, invited them to to come check everything out and everything like that. They were on as uh, executive producers and consultants and everything like that. Um, and then eventually it's just like they just ended up staying in the writer's room like they invited them back for another season. And it's just like kind of th- this kind of thing. But it's like he said that it was uh, a very strange experience to write the books simultaneously while writing the television show. Oh, it's I like bet. They're such different beasts. I can only imagine. So, yeah. 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 Um, but at the same time, it's like he knew, you know, this show's on TV, but still doesn't mean it's safe. But it got canceled and then mm-hmm. it got picked up mm-hmm. again. So it's like it's such a finicky business. But, you know, deep in my heart, I'm like, I want to just see green bones kicking ass on television. Nice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It would be oh. so cool. <laughs> from, your, from your lips to the ears of Hollywood, Adrian. Right. Yeah. Listen, Hollywood producers. Yeah, all happen. those Hollywood producers listening to our show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. All right. So I think that it's time for us to dive into talking about your latest release, um, the novella Untethered Sky. I actually just Wee. finished my arc of it last week. And um, thanks for breaking me. Uh- <laughs> Again, you have a habit, uh, yeah, yeah, don't you? Yeah, Fonda? I know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Uh, can you let's let's just talk about it a little bit. Can you give us a synopsis? Tell us about the origins of like where this idea came from for you, all of that stuff. So Untethered Sky is a novella that I've been describing as a wildlife memoir with monsters. It's about a young woman um, named Esther who uh, is training a giant bird of prey, a rock, to hunt man-eating manticores. And it came about um, largely because of my soft spot for animal companionship stories. So books like Where the Red Fern Grows and Old Yeller and Julie of the Wolves, you know, all the books that make you cry at the end, like those books (laughs) I enjoyed when I was a child. So I was like, I want to write one of those. Um, But also because I'm a fantasy writer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No dogs die in this book. At least I can promise that. No dogs. Uh, But yeah, but, but I also was fascinated with falconry and, uh, and just like the, how cool and amazing that sport is. But what if the falcons were like enormous (laughs) monsters? Uh, so that so yeah that that's how that story came about um and it was a a novella that uh was that was a real breath of fresh air for me because i um was in the middle of writing jade legacy and my editor uh john uh, jonathan strawn um uh at tour.com said hey have you ever thought about writing a novella and i remember being like you know what would be great about a novella it's short. Short sounds fantastic. So, uh, so yes. And this, this is a project I've had on the docket for a very long time. I started writing untethered sky years and years ago, and it went into a drawer because I wasn't entirely sure where it was going. And then when I, um, came back to it with fresh eyes and thought of it as a potential novella, it all sort of fell into place. It's like after like, 
the almost 800 pages of Jade Legacy. So like, let's, <laughs> right. let's go for something shorter. We were like 150 <laughs> pages sold. Yeah, Beautiful. Let's was, do that this. was pretty much my exact thought process. <laughs> Chef's kiss novella. Let's roll. I love that. I love that. Um, so I love I love this this dynamic between the rock and the rooker. So it's kind of like the falcon and and the falconeer. I guess they would you would call it. Um, but basically like the animal and the person who is trying to tame them. Uh, but this falconry esque relationship, as well as like the hunting of manticores, um, how, how was it for you? Yeah, I know. It's really awesome. So cool. How, how was it for you in terms of kind of like focusing on this aspect and learning about it? And then at the same time, how did that dynamic provide the right framework for you to tell uh, Esther's story and her obsessive hunt for revenge uh, kind of thing? So it's a, it's a interesting question because um, the, really the story uh, is a very interior one. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a very sort of tight, intimate story. It's really um, about Esther. And Esther is the first person POV character. Um, and again, a, a big departure from the Greenbone Saga, which had multi-POVs, huge canvas, yeah. large scope, dozens of years. So this was in, in many ways, like me being like, how do I create this craft, this like little shiny bauble? And, um, <laughs> and because of the limited page count and, you know, the constraints I was working with in the form, everything that wasn't important had to be stripped away. So the most important element really was like this relationship between Esther and Zara and the manticores kind of provide the exterior um conflict right mm-hmm. but the the really the interior conflict is is esther versus herself if you will right it's like esther's coming of age is her kind of her coping with trauma and her childhood fi- figuring out who she is um and like finding love really like a mm-hmm. love with this this um you know giant bird that could eat her face off but also <laughs> like with uh, with those close to her around her. And, you know, there's a, there's a romantic interest in the story as well. And like herself, like accepting herself. Right. And so there's, um, there, there's a, 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 there's the, like, how do I kind of strike that right balance between, okay, this is, this is really kind of got a memoirist vibe and sort of a mm-hmm. very sort of personal story journey with, yeah, but these are giant honking monsters who are like going to be that there's going to be like crazy, you know, hunt scenes where a huge bird like flies down on a giant manticore and there's like all this bloodshed. (laughs) So like that's, so, so that was kind of, um, you know, what I was going for was like a very, um, you know, a, a, a fantasy story that felt very real, very grounded. I guess that's sort of a common theme in a lot of my work is taking the speculative element, but then making it feel like very, character driven and very personal mm-hmm. and, and very grounded. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's kind of how that came about. And also this, the falconry relationship was really interesting to me. Like the Greenbone saga had so many relationships between all these different characters and all these familial relationships, you know, siblings and parents and all that. Um, and this was a very kind of simple one-sided, like unrequited love kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. And because, uh, you know, Esther is so, um, she is, she's so devoted 
to to Zara and to her profession. Um, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, like Zara is a huge wild animal, and so that where there's sort of a, a unusual, like nuanced run like uh, that that relationship was was different than one that I'd ever explored before and so that was a fun challenge for me yeah I I loved that element uh in untethered sky was that you know you do see the animal companion and I love I mean gosh I love any sort of animal companion but I I found it particularly fascinating that it is so uh, you know, you'll see, oh, the falconer, they control the falcon. It's like, no, they don't. <laughs> mm-hmm, you know, they have the mm-hmm. falcon trained. They're trying their best. <laughs> but exactly, yeah, but, right? Yeah. Like the yeah. falcon still has to listen. Um, and, you know, what if it what if it doesn't? And also what if it's, you know, yeah. 600 pounds, um, which I thought was like, fascinating. Do, do you have like a, do you have a camel <laughs> liver on hand perhaps? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You got to <laughs> keep them pacified with that. Yeah. Um, I I just loved the whole world of this novella, though. Um, you know, with with the that dynamic with the giant monsters, the manticores are terrifying uh, in the best way. Um, are, do you have any plans to revisit this world, or is this just going to be contained with this in this novella? It is just a standalone. So okay. I I'm always. Um cognizant of the fact like when you write a shorter piece people are like but what about this you could do this you can like there's all these other yeah. things you could explore <laughs> which i totally get um but yeah. i did really envision it as a one and done yeah but that what way. was what, <laughs> what was since you've like kind of lived this it was brief it was a hot flash in the pan what was your favorite aspect of crafting this world and 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 fleshing that out and and you know being able to just say like this exists. I had a ton of fun with it. And now let's move on. Right. Yeah. I really just had a lot of fun with the creating like the, the rooking profession and like just the like Mm. little details. Um, and this is my, my jam with, I think any world building project is those little tangible details that make it seem real. So things like, uh, so I had, I had a couple of beta readers, who were master falconers read the manuscript and they gave me some really cool little um, bits of feedback that went into the books. Like, you know, the, the way that they would um, they would approach, you know, flushing out Corey and like making and giving the uh, their bird um, an approach that's downwind so that it's easier mm-hmm. for them and things like penning, penning in your Corey from one side. And I had one of the um, beta readers say, Hmm, I wonder like what, sort of material would be strong enough to be used as jesses and in the in the novella it's elephant hide that's like yeah. used um to as jesses for rocks and so those little details so all those little things are just like a lot of fun for me to create yeah super cool i just love uh yeah i mean we've talked about it before but like uh in terms of world building the ability to kind of like infuse tiny details that engross people like one extra bit more in in the world and kind of just create that that immersion factor through this kind of like unconscious inclusion of something that like that makes sense right you wouldn't have even noticed it but that's what makes it feel real and it's that's that grounding that you were talking about speculative Mm -hmm. but grounding it in uh i love that um 
So I would like to talk just a little bit, if we can, about your newly announced book. Um, so the last contract <laughs> with Sokka, which is a samurai cyberpunk space opera. Am I getting this right? Without, without, mm-hmm. the, without the space, I think it right. was. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> cool. Um, I'm, I'm already hooked. Can you yeah. tell us more? What can you tell us about it? It's going to be released in 2025, so you'll have to not hold your breath. And it, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on it right now. I'm really excited about it. It's another project that um, has been percolating in my brain for a long time. Mm-hmm. It uh, came to me while I was writing the Greenbone Saga, and I was like, that is cool. And I'm going to have to shelve that until I finish this trilogy. <laughs> so um, now that I can actually work on it, um, I have described it as... Um, if Akira Kurosawa wrote Dune, but then like blended it with Blade Runner and John Wick a little bit. So it's, uh, it is, um, it's, it's been a lot of fun because I'm trying, like I did with the Greenbone saga. I, I think one of the things that always draws me into a project is when I can take things I really enjoy and like smash them together in some unique way. Mm-hmm. And this is my love of like, uh, you know, Chambara, like samurai flicks, but also, you know, science fiction and like cyberpunk. And um, it's also like a lot of my background in business is in this as well, because it's set on like this isolated colony planet that has long since lost contact with earth. And so the exploration company um, that uh, was in charge of setting up the colony is now the like governing force. Um, and so it's sort of like a corporate dystopia, but then there's also like there there's it, it, the main character is this aging swordswoman who's on her last job. And anyways, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Oh my I'm just God, rambling. Every but word eventually makes me more excited. <laughs> Even like contracts and just like, I'm down. Fuck it. Right. Like all of it <laughs> sounds so good. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you think so. And I just have to finish writing it. Right. No pressure. No, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. So is it fun to dip back into sci-fi after so much time spent in fantasy? I know you said that it's kind of a lot of the similar skill sets, but mm-hmm. it is fun. I have always wanted to be able to write both science fiction and fantasy. So um moving back and forth feels very satisfying to me. I like the fact mm-hmm. that I was able to finish a big epic fantasy trilogy. And then be able to be like, okay, let's go back and visit sci-fi. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. I love that. Awesome. Well, uh, to close out, we got a two-parter for you. Can you give listeners and viewers, A, a good bit of soundbite writing advice, and then B, tell us a weird or random fact that you find to be utterly fascinating? Oh, okay. Um, let's see. A soundbite of writing advice. Um, I, I'd say like one of the things that... Um, I have had to work on a lot over the last year is just protecting my writing time. So I think that's a piece of writing advice that is just evergreen that I would give to a writer at any stage in their career, which is just, especially in these days, it feels like there's a thousand things going on that are dividing our attention. I mean, we went through a global pandemic, so there's, there's a lot that can, um, that can make it hard to prioritize writing. And, um, I have in the past year found ways to just, uh, I, I recently actually just started getting a co-working space so I could get out of the house after, nice. you know, working at home for Very so many cool. years being like change mm-hmm. of scenery, set aside a certain amount of time. Um, you know, and so I would just, I would give the advice, like however you, whatever you can do to make writing work within your life, but protect your time 
is, is, is just really crucial. And then a weird or random fact. Okay. This is a weird or random fact <laughs> that, that, that is connected to untethered sky. Okay. And, um, that is, there were giant prehistoric eagles. They're called Hass eagles. They're massive and they were from New Zealand. Um, and they hunted, um, uh, the flightless moa, you know, those huge, like the huge, um, like emu, like prehistoric yeah, yeah. birds. They're kind of like, they're kind of so, like prehistoric cousins, ancestors of like emu and ostrich. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. So Hass eagles, um, were really massive eagles that hunted those things. And there has been fossil evidence discovered that they also occasionally preyed on humans. So there've been like skulls with like talon like puncture marks in them oh and stuff oh. so uh yeah so if you if you you know read untethered sky and you're like well giant birds that could kill people those things really existed so existed. there you go fun fact for the day that's awesome. a good one and Damn. terrifying yeah i love it because <laughs> I've, I've been i've been i've been reading because there's like a company i think they are based out of like siberia but basically their whole thing is to use speaking of jurassic park is to use genetic samples and mix them with modern uh, sort of like modern um, relatives of that species. So like mammoths. Mm -hmm. And then the closest living relative is I think the Asian elephant. And so they're kind of like merging those genes together using kind of CRISPR genetic technology and then using that as the basis for an embryo, which an Asian elephant would then give birth to. And it would be, approximation of a mammoth so it's Again, like we have six movies yeah, why this is not know, a good know, idea you guys <laughs> but then mammoths, like you say that like, like, let's, let's get some rocks in here let's like get some rocks and become rookers and yeah. let's do it man. <laughs> <laughs> become a rooker it's my new famous last words so you know <laughs> right? the extinction of the human race that's on you now adrian good job <laughs> shit Look what Chuck you've told done. me. Chuck told me that 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 all of this is my hallucination. Anyways, Chuck Wendell. Oh, there you so go. It's like, so maybe this is like a know, Link's Awakening type situation. Apparently the, pandem You're just yeah, apparently the pandemic was my fault. So. <laughs> oh, okay, good. I'm glad because I thought it was mine because I signed up for you know the uh, the credit card with airline points right before the oh. pandemic hit. <laughs> oh, no. oh shit. All of this is my hallucination, uh. anyways. But Fonda, thank you so much for chatting with us. Uh, as well, anyone who contributes to our Patreon at $10 or more a month, there, there's going to be a reading uh, by Fonda up there from Untethered Sky. So go check that out. And you can also hear Fonda on past episodes, including episode 15 on Cities as Characters and episode 19 on Martial Arts and SSF. Uh, Fonda, where can folks find you on social media? Well, my website is FondaLee.com. I'm on Instagram at Fonda.Lee. I am still on the Cursed Bird app at Fonda J. Lee. And I am also on Patreon. So you can find me um, patreon.com slash Fonda Lee. Awesome. And I will link to all of that in the description below. You can also follow SFF Addicts on Instagram and Twitter at SFF Addicts Pod. You can follow me at Adrian M. Gibson. MJ, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me across all the major socials. So Twitter, TikTok, Instagram at MJ Coon Books, all one word. Awesome. Well, that is it for this week. Stay tuned next week for our mini masterclass with Fonda on morally gray characters, which I'm so excited to hear about. Uh, now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts.